It's Advent, right? I, you, I, I hope you recognize we're in the Christmas season. We've obviously sung songs around it. We have uh, heard our kids sing about it. We've lit candles of hope and peace. It's Advent. It is a time of year. It has been our tradition since we planted, since we started. I, I, I don't think there's a year that we haven't done it to take the four weeks leading up to Christmas to prepare, to just begin to settle our minds on Jesus' coming, which Advent means arrival, it means coming, it's the literal definition of it. Um, and what it does for us is in a season when the hustle and bustle of life is about everything other than Jesus, like uh, you go outside to this room and it's all about the Black Friday sales, the fill your, line your, your stockings and, and fill your, your Christmas trees with Anyway, it's about everything but Jesus, and then we kind of tag Jesus on. For us, what it does as we enter into this season is every year we come to this place to just challenge us to slow down in the middle of it and remember, our Christ has come. But as Cooper reminded you last week, as we looked at hope, it isn't only a celebration of his original advent, his original coming, it is a looking forward to his return, his second advent, the time when he comes back and all the promises are fulfilled. So that's where we're at. We're, we're in the middle of that, and that's our focus today as we turn to and study and consider the peace that comes with advent, advent and the ability of us to abide in that peace. We're going to read from Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I would encourage you to open your Bibles, follow along. Um, the verses will be on the screen if you need them. <clears throat> so let's, let's read, we'll pray, and then dig in. The Peter's words to this body of Christians. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all that all should repeat that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's pray. Father, how do we, how do, we do this? I, I read those words and I see the trouble and the trial, the, the, as the word calls it in other places, the birth pains that give way to what is to come. Ah, help us. Would you meet with us by your spirit, the spirit that you promised to remind us of your peace, that we might dwell in it, that we might truly abide in it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we live in the in-between time. Like It's in between Jesus' first advent and his second advent. That's what the whole idea of celebrating every year is about. It draws us to this place that in the midst of all the junk going on around us, we're able to remember Christ has come and Christ is coming. Now, there's a really technical doctrinal term for this time. The already but not yet. I know you're expecting some really big words. Nope, it's the already but not yet. It's the idea that God has already done some things, but he's not yet fulfilled all the promises that he's going to fulfill or that he has made. So, so we, could, we could illustrate that idea in a very close sense in terms of this worship gathering. We have already begun the worship gathering, but we have not yet finished the worship gathering. And if our kids are to be believed, it may go on forever. Too long for them, right? Like that's the, in fact, I was reminded of that this morning. You need to shorten it up a little bit. Okay, well, when you preach, I'll let you determine how long you're going to preach for. That's what I, that's what I want to say. But anyway, I might need to say that to some adults too. But no, I'm just kidding. No, maybe not. Anyway, I got to get, I got to, I got to get my mind back. That was not in my notes. I shouldn't be. Anyway, so here we are, right? Like we're in the middle, the in-between Time. You could stretch that out and, and, and see a little bit larger expanse as you think about the Advent season. We've begun the Advent season, but we have not yet fulfilled it. We started with the observance of hope. Today, we're looking at peace. We're kind of in the middle. We're moving towards joy and love, and then it will culminate. It will end when we get to the focus on Christ on Christmas Eve, but we're in the in-between time. We're in the already, but not yet or we could really stretch this out. We could expand it to the reaches of time. And even Peter does in this letter, in this chapter, in this passage that we just read, when he refers all the way back to creation, a work that God has already begun doing, looking forward to a work that he's not yet finished. He looks all the way back to when the world was created, and he looks all the way forward to the time when the new creations will be completed. We live in this in-between time, this already but not yet. And though there are tons of technological differences between us and the people who first read this letter, there are huge cultural differences between them and us. This is one very strong similarity. We all live in a time in between Jesus' first arrival and the promise of his second coming. We, we, like these people, are in a time where we are waiting, where we know Jesus has come, 
And it seems like Jesus is tearing, like he's coming slowly. But we're awaiting, anticipating with great hope his return. This, this ties us together with them. I mean, th- th- there's other similarities, right? Like Bob referred it, re- referenced it earlier as he spoke about it. Trouble has just been the reality of this life. Like suffering and hardship is a common human experience. In fact, it's, the one, it's one of the few that every person from every place at every time and every circumstance knows in some way they know suffering. They know hardship. They know trial. They know tribulation. These are things that every person who has ever lived and whoever will live before the return of Christ will experience to one degree or another. They knew the struggles with power and political pressures. They were familiar with the rule of Rome, and they didn't like it. Right? Not all of them did. They understood family struggles. They completely had a, a grasp of societal hardships. There were rich and there were poor. There were people who took advantage and who were taken advantage of. It was the reality of the world is the same way that it's the reality of the world today. They had their own personal struggles, things that they dealt with on a day-to-day basis that were hard. And there were even religious tensions that Peter highlights in this passage. And so it comes to me as a, a striking thing, almost a surprising thing, because we break into the middle of the context of this letter It strikes me immediately as we come to the close of his letter in that last verse. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Now, that to me is not that surprising. Like God's people are supposed to live like God's people. We're supposed to act like we've been saved. You've been saved, so act like it, right? That doesn't totally catch me off guard. But he says... As you wait, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So let me just, let me just try this. Be at peace. Now get your kids to quit rustling. Get your mind settled. The worries of what's going to happen after this service. The anxiety of tomorrow. The uncertainty of what's going to happen in a week or a month. Just be at peace. Why? Just do it. Just be at peace. The idea, this, this, this calmness of mind, this, this, this rested mind, this idea that he, the, the word is arene, and it, immediately it's not a piece of relationship or immediately a piece of um, a, a circumstantial peace. The, the weight of this word is a peace within you. A peace of mind, peace of heart, being at rest in your soul. Be at peace. That's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Oh, maybe for a minute. But I bet by the end of the service, by the end of the sermon, as we're anticipating walking out the door, there's a reality that we're going to need to be reminded to be at peace. And we're going to need to be reminded why we can be at peace or how we can be at peace. This is a shocking thing to me. So here, here's the reality, and, and we all recognize this. I'm going to state the obvious, but I'm going to try to put it in a, a phrase that maybe we can all kind of remember and take with us. That we all know this. This is kind of a truth that we, I think we could all agree on. I'm not going to say anything that's, 
shocking here, peace is not natural in the already but not yet. Peace is not natural here. It's not the norm here. We expect trouble. In fact, as if, if Bob had continued to read, he would have gotten to the place where Jesus said, expect tribulation in this world. In fact, you should be surprised if you don't face tribulation, right? Like that's, the, that's what he's telling his people. You should be shocked if you don't find trouble. Peace is not natural in the already, but not yet. What is normal? What is the natural? Well, Peter gives us some indications here. In this, in, in this letter alone, he, he, is, he is dealing with some, some very difficult things that these believers, that these Christians of his day are going to deal with. False teachers and their lies, they're the norm. False teachers and their lies are the norm. In fact, it, he, he calls them scoffers in chapter 3. But in chapter 2, he refers to the false prophets and the false teachers that are going to come along and, and spread their dangerous heresies and their lies within and among the church. He says to expect this, this is, to be, this is the norm. Like every church should be aware. Every local congregation should understand that there's somebody out there lying about the truth of who God is, the truth of what God has done, the truth of who his people are. And we must be ready and prepared and able to discern what's true because the, the number of lies that come are immeasurable. There's only one truth. So get so familiar with it, know it so well that when a lie looms, you see it for what it is. False teachers and their lies are the norm. That's the world they live in. Hey, you know what? It hasn't changed. And now that voice spreads. It's, it's so easy for these, for these folks to, to get their message out because they just got to say something that is, that is, oh, man, I agree with that. And then they weave their lies and their, and their heresies into the, into the junk. That, and all they got to do is get on YouTube or TikTok and make you laugh a little bit or, or, or about probably 100% of the television shows you're watching that you laugh at. The ones that make you cry, that make you feel good, that call you to put your hope in something other than Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. We are surrounded by false teachers. And they tell all kinds of lies. And they would seek to lead us astray. So that's the norm of this life in the already but not yet. He also calls out the idea of doubting. Now he doesn't use the word doubt immediately, but doubting God is the norm. I want to just show you how I, how I draw this out and how I think this is true. In the very first verse, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Your sincere mind. Meaning, your, your mind that is wholesome in thought, that's united in thought, that, that sees and understands what it has and what it holds, the, 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 the knowledge that you have, and that you hold it and have it and understand it in such a way that, that it's, there's a sincerity to it, that there's a truth to it, an authenticity to it. It's taken him two letters, and he's still dealing with the same thing. Because doubt is very normal here. In fact, as we taught last week, my, Amy and I have been filling in in the youth class, and we have, in many ways, we've loved that, right? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not speaking for, for you. 
In many ways, we've loved that. It's been really, really cool, really fun. And last week, we dealt with doubt. And one thing that became very clear in the conversation is that even your youth doubt. It's okay. So do you. We all do. We all struggle with it. Now, now some, less than others, some are just gifted. God has blessed you with this strong sense of faith and certainty. But I'm certain if we sat and talked long enough, I wouldn't desire to cause you doubt, but I'm certain if we sat and talked long enough, we could highlight some ways in which doubt in your life is evident. Because there's all kinds of things that you're believing and that are competing against the, the, the one truth that God is your Savior, that God has given you every reason to hope, every reason to trust him, and yet we struggle with doubt, and we need these reminders. And that gives way to the, to the next thing I think that Peter shows us is the norm in the already but not yet, forgetting. Forgetting is the norm. Peace is not natural. False teachers are normal. Peace is not natural. Doubting God is normal. Peace is not natural. Forgetting God is the norm. This is the second letter. And what is he doing? He's stirring up your, your sincere mind by way of what? He says it in verse 1, by way of reminder. Well, then he goes on and reminds them what? In verse 2, he says, remember the predictions of the holy prophets. So remember what God has been saying through his people all this time. Then he goes down to 5 through 7, and he calls to mind what? The creation and the flood. Remember these things. Remember that this has happened. Remember what you see there. And then in verse 8 again, remember that the time with the Lord, that, that time with the Lord is different than, than the way we account for it. This is actually a reference to the Psalms. So not only are we looking back to the prophets, we're looking back to the wisdom writings, the Psalms. Psalm 94, where it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Simply translated, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. It's exactly what Peter did. Just drawing from the Psalms, he reminds them. He's calling them back to think back, which is exactly what we do in Advent. We have a reason to look forward. We have a reason to ex expect and confidently look forward to something because we can look back. We could be remembering. Here's the problem. We need to be reminded to remember. We're forgetful. It's so easy to get into the flow and the... And the, and the movements and rhythms of Christmas holiday stuff with parties and, and present openings and uh, family gatherings, the, the lights and the, all, the, all the trappings that come with it. And some of them are great, and I don't want to try and take away, but that's not my intent. But man, there's so many ways that it causes us to forget what it really is we're celebrating. So many ways in which those things that at one time were a way for us to remember have become the reason for the holiday, the reason we celebrate. When Peter's writing, he wants to remind us because he knows that forgetting is normal. So, so this call to peace to me, this, this call, be at peace in this last verse, this application, this exhortation from verse 14 as he's closing out this letter Seems somewhat striking, somewhat shocking. Peace is not natural to the already but not yet. So how can he call it 
How can he call us to it? How, how, how can he expect that when the Lord arrives, we're actually going to be at peace? Because the Lord has provided it to his people. The Lord has provided us reason to be at peace. The Lord has provided peace. The Lord has given us every reason and every ability to, to, to actually obey this direction, to actually do what Peter is encouraging us to do. He smuggled it in behind enemy lines. He brought it to where it wasn't. So that you and I, as his children, as his people, can know it and begin experience it, experiencing it even now. Many, many of you will have heard of Brother Andrew, who became known as God's smuggler. That actually was also the title of his autobiography. He was, he, he was a, a man who found out that you couldn't get... Uh, Bibles in Russia, in, in communist Russia. And so he began to smuggle Bibles from Europe into Russia. And, and he, he's like, I, the cost is not an issue to me. I, I don't care what might come. I, they need the word of God. And so I'm going to bring it in. And so he smuggled Bibles in across, uh, effectively across enemy lines and bring Bibles. That would eventually grow into a massive uh, worldwide uh, ministry called Open Doors. And Open Doors remembers Brother Andrew, and one of his favorite sayings was, Our very mission is called Open Doors because we believe that any door is open anytime and anywhere. I literally believe that. Every door is open to go in and proclaim Christ as long as you are willing to go and are not worried about coming back. That was his motto. That was his, life. That's his idea. I don't care if I come back. I'm going to bring the word. I'm going to bring what brings people peace. I'm going to bring truth to dispel lies. I'm going to go and do this, he says. Well, he might have been a Bible smuggler, but Jesus Christ was our peace smuggler. Jesus Christ brought peace to where it had never been before among the people of this world living in the already, but not yet. Yeah, Brother Andrew is somebody to remember. But Brother Andrew wouldn't have a job if Jesus hadn't come. He brought it to us. More, he, he brings us peace. And, that, and, and so here's this thing is Peter comes to this place and he's able to call us to this because at the heart of his letter, at the foundation of his letter is the very work of God that brings his people peace. In fact, this letter, one of the major themes and purposes of this letter is so that God's people would know and be reminded of God's peace. And I'll show that to you. First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter two, verse two. He's opening, he introduces himself, and then he says, May grace and peace. Did you catch that? I want you to know God's grace. I want you to know God's peace. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I am going to remind you of these things. I am going to tell you about these things. I am going to, to, to try and stir up your sincere mind about these things so that God's grace and God's peace would be multiplied to you so that you wouldn't just know a little bit of it, but that you'd know exp exponentially more than you knew before about it. I want it multiplied to you. I want it in all of your experience, in all of your life. I want you to know his grace and his peace. At least in part, Peter's purpose in writing was to do this. 
So here's the, here's the idea, right? Like this is the whole summation of why we can read verse 14 and not be immediately, oh, there's no way I'm going to do that, so I'm not going to even try. We can abide in peace in the already but not yet if we keep our minds filled with the abiding peace provided by the Lord's power, promises, and patience. How, how, how can we be at peace? How can we fulfill and, and, and be found when God arrives, when Jesus comes back? How can we do this and be found at peace? We can abide in peace every day. Right now, in the already, not yet. If we keep our minds filled and focused on the abiding peace provided by the Lord's power, his promises, and his patience. Peace is not natural to our world. But peace is natural to God and his world. It's natural to, to his nature. It is, it is, it's, it's indicative of his existence, but also his presence. Peace becomes a possibility for us because he has come to us. We can live in this. Surrounded in a world, surrounded by people in a world that are filled with trouble. Even facing trials in our own lives. Dealing with hardship at every turn. Paul calls it a peace that passes understanding to a people who are suffering and struggling and being tried. We can abide in this peace because he has provided an abiding peace. Now, how has he done it? The Lord has provided for our peace by his power. Look again at chapter 3. He, he calls out some of the powerful things that God has done by his word. He's going he's gonna to contrast this against what the scoffers are saying, right? He's like, yeah, the scoffers, they're going to come and they're going to say, where's Jesus? He's not showed up. I thought he was coming. It's, things have been going the same way ever since the earth was created. Our, 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 our patriarchs, our fathers have died. The sun rises, the sun sets. It's the same stuff day in and day out. And Peter's like, no, nope. no, nope. they're forgetting something. They're forgetting by what power this all exists and by what power this is all being preserved. And he makes reference first to the creation. He says, look at the power. God created it. He formed it. He brought it all together. But it's not just gone on day to day as if nothing's changed and nothing's different. They're deliberately forgetting the fact that a flood came and destroyed all but one family. And who, who, who did that? Who brought the flood? How did it arrive? How did the waters of the deep and the waters from the heavens come pouring down and fill the whole world so that the world that was brought out of the water is then drenched and deluged with the water again? It's by the word of God's power. He points us back to the, the fact that God created the world by the power of his word. God flooded the world by the power of his word. And then he points us forward to what God will do in the end when he makes all things new by the power of his word. Now, why does that, why, why does that bring us peace? How is that going to make us feel at rest and at peace? It sounds pretty bad. I mean, like there's going to be fire and the heavens are going to come falling down and it sounds like trial and tribulation. But it's God's power at work. And you think about this because we're always scrambling around. We're always running around trying to, trying to bring peace by our own power. In fact, I think I referenced this when we went through the fruits of the Spirit that we try to bring peace 
by power, by showing our power is greater than someone else's power. That we're going we're gonna to bring peace by, by developing an arsenal of weapons to show how powerful we are, by having a trained military that shows how powerful we are. And so we experience a, a type of peace because people are afraid to attack us until they're not afraid to attack us. <laughs> and then suddenly that all gets rocked. But this is a power that brought the world into existence, that flooded the world in judgment and preserved life through that judgment. And then in the end, we'll bring it to an end and bring a rebirth and a renewal, a new heavens and a new earth out of it. This is God's power. He is the one doing it. It doesn't rely on you or me. We don't have to get it all right. We don't, have to, we don't have to know the whole plan. We can rest in him. We can rest in his power. We can abide in peace because he has provided an abiding peace by his power. Also, we see in this letter that the Lord has provided for our peace in his promises. One of the things that he's reminding, Peter's reminding his readers of is to think back. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets. What were the predictions of the holy prophets? They were promises of God. And then a little bit later, he's going to call out the promises of God, and he's not slow in fulfilling those promises. God is going to fulfill his promise. He's made these promises for a purpose. You know why God promises things? Because he's going to do them. He doesn't promise things just to manipulate us or coerce us or to get us to do what he wants us to do. He promises these things because he's going to do them. I can't help but wonder if the problem with his promises is not that he is going to fulfill them, but whether or not we believe that he's going to fulfill them. So the weakness isn't in the promise. God's been fulfilling his promises all along. In fact, all of the promises concerning the coming of the Messiah have been fulfilled. You know how I know that? Because we celebrate it every year. Jesus came. He dwelt among us. He put on flesh. He walked the earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose in victory on the third day. History is telling us that. The scriptures affirm it, right? They teach us. The predictions of the prophets concerning the Messiah have been fulfilled except for those that tell us he's coming again. Why are we waiting? Because he promised it. Because his promise is, I'm coming, my son is coming to get you. Jesus says to his disciples, I wouldn't tell you these things if I wasn't going to come and get you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come and get you. You can be with me forever. This is what we're expecting. So if you put these two things together, even think about this. If God's power is going to bring the world to an end, and that seems kind of scary because it talks about fire and destruction before there's, before there's renewal and, and a new heavens and a new earth, like that could come with a lot of apprehension. Except that he's given you this promise. You who have trusted in my son will be saved. You will be in that new heavens and that new earth. You will not be destroyed by the fire. You will live eternally with us. 
We can abide in peace because he has provided an abiding peace by his power and in his promises. And then finally, as we look at this passage, we can see that the Lord has provided for our peace through his patience. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years in verse 10. There's all kind of people that argue about this and what it means, and they try to apply it to the Scripture. They go back to the Psalms, Psalm 94, where it's a reference to, and they, they seek to, I, I think first and foremost, just the easiest, just outright, out front reality is that time is subject to God, not God to time. Okay? We're subject to time, and we feel it in every way. But time, he is not affected and influenced by it in the same way we are. He is the ruler over time. And so what seems like a long time to you and me, not a long time to him. He can do in the snap of a finger what takes us a lifetime to accomplish. So these people running around. Oh, Jesus hadn't come. Remember, look, think, think back to all the stuff. The, the time, the, all that's been happening. Nothing's changed. And, and Peter's like, yeah, something changed. The world was flooded. A family was saved. The only reason we're still here is because God was gracious. And now, by the way, if it's not always going to be like this. Something's going to change. The heavens are going to fall. The, the, the veil's going to be pulled back. The fire's going to burn. But it's taken so long. Why is it taking so long? Well, I mean, what's, what's a long time when you consider eternity? You just imagine for a minute what eternity really is. And then what we call a long time. Happened in our class this morning. The youth are talking about, oh, man, it's so long in, in relation to a life that's lasted about 13 or 14 years. Oh, that show is old. I think it was Phineas and Ferb, right? That's an old show. Is it? I was like, I'm 51. <laughs> I don't think that's that old. Now, my mom's sitting back there. <laughs> I love you. She's like 51. <laughs> that's nothing. Right? But now, I won't say exactly how old she is. But, well, I can't because I don't know. <laughs> but even that, 81. 80, okay, sorry. 80 years old. It's so bad. <laughs> 80 years old. Now compare that to eternity. She doesn't, she, she doesn't even have experience in terms of eternity at this point. She's still an infant that needs to learn how to crawl, that has to be fed, that needs everything done for them. And I say that with the greatest respect to my mom, who I love and, and have been, uh, she's done so much for me in my life, been such a beautiful witness of God's grace. But eternity... Think about how to imagine eternity. How long has it really been since Jesus came? Has it really been a long time 
that Jesus hasn't returned? I guess, it talk, I guess it depends on if you're talking to someone who is about 50 years old or someone who views everything from the scope of eternity. A thousand years, nothing. It's like a day. And what Peter points us to here is, is not the promises, it's not the power, it's the patience of the Lord. He has provided for our peace through his patience. Imagine if God was impatient. Let's just just think about this. Let's think about that God, in in Exodus chapter 34, God is referred to a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's just imagine for a moment that God's a God who's quick to anger and who kind of loves when he wants to. One, there'd be no salvation because nobody would measure up fast enough. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning the same lesson at 50 years old that I began to realize I had when I was 40 years old that I didn't even have a full understanding of when I was 30 years old. God has been patient with me. I was 20 years old before I was ever even willing to profess that I wasn't a believer, that I wasn't a Christian. It took me till 20 years old to be able to even admit out loud that I had never trusted and followed Jesus. And it was at 20 years old that I'm finally willing to step out of the secrecy and the, the, the shame of saying I've been lying and, and step out and say, no, now I have trusted in Jesus and I am following him and I will never turn back. What if God wasn't patient? Well, what if he was quick to anger? What if he wasn't patient with me? What if he wasn't patient with you? What would have happened when Adam and Eve sinned, ate the fruit, the one thing he said, don't do, look at all I've given you. Like that would be, that's what I would have done. Unfortunately, that's what I did all too often with my sons. He gave them every tree to eat from. He gave them his presence, gave them a life filled with abundance. One thing he said that he was off limits. One, the fruit of that tree what if he's a God who is, who, is, who is quick to anger and abounding in wanting to be vengeful? They wouldn't have made it out of the garden. There would have been no exile. There would have been no flood and no family being saved from a flood. And there would be no Jesus coming to save us because God wouldn't be patient enough. But here we see it. Here we see it. This is not a reason for us to be upset because it's taken too long in our estimation of time. This is God demonstrating his patience because his desire is that everyone who walks the face of the earth has an opportunity to hear and repent. And lots of people come to this verse and they're like, whoa, wait a minute, okay, I thought God elected his believers and I, and I, I fully, uh, yes, Absolutely. I'm all on board that before the foundations of the world, God elected me to salvation. He predestined me to the point in which I would believe. All of those things are absolutely true. The Bible's clear on that. But what seems also pretty clear here is that God desires everyone who has ever lived to have the opportunity to repent. But when they stand in front of him, they will not be able to use the excuse You didn't give me enough light. You didn't say enough things. You didn't do enough. It is his desire 
So theologians have sought to try to find some balance here, and so they call this the, the decorative or the decreeing will of God and the permissive will of God in that everything he decrees will come to pass. Everything he promises, he has decreed it, it will come to pass. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to wonder. But there are many things that he has not decreed, though he has permitted them. Sin is a good example of that. He did not decree that Adam and Eve would sin, but he permitted them to do so. He will permit people to live on this earth and continue to reject and rebel against him, and he will patiently make certain that the sun still rises and the earth preserves life and sun or, or springtime and harvest still happen, right? He is going to ensure that, the, that things continue to flow the way they do until the return because everyone, everyone is going to be given an opportunity to see the truth and when they reject it, they will be responsible. And when he judges them on that day, they will not be able to say, you didn't do enough. No, his patience, his patience has done more than we deserve. It has done more than enough. And in his patience, rather than find frustration, we can find peace because it's by his patience that you and I gather in this room today and are able to claim that we are at peace. Without it, there would be no peace. We can abide in peace because he has provided an abiding peace through his power, through his promises, and through his patience. In fact, let me just, let me just hit this one last thought, this idea of peace and patience. I, I didn't read this verse. I thought about it, but I didn't because it, it, it just would have, but, but Paul, the very next verse, at verse 15 he says, and to count the patience of our Lord as salvation. There is no salvation apart from the patience of God. You want to be at peace? Then, then be grateful to God for his patience. We can abide in peace because of this. We can abide in peace because he's provided that abiding peace. It's like the dawning of a new day. Before the sun rises over the horizon, we're already able to begin to see. It's already shining and and. and and showing us the, the surroundings around us. And that's where we're at. The, the sun has not crested the horizon. But the light is shining all around us. And as his people we can rest now at peace. So that when he returns we can be found at peace. Because of his power. Because of his promises. Because of his patience. Because in them he has provided an abiding peace. And so that when, <laughs> when it all comes to all comes to fruition and the sun actually crests that horizon, we don't have to live in fear of that. We don't have to live in fear of what's coming because we know that in Christ we are safe. That is, if you have known and followed Jesus Christ. I would assume that in a room like this, maybe, maybe we could say, oh, well, yeah, you know, all, all of us, we go to church. We, 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 we've done this stuff. We've done these things. And maybe that's true. But maybe the reality is that there's people sitting in this room that have played a game like I did for 20 years that the Lord has been very patient with. But in this moment, he's calling you to look at his son and find your peace. I would just encourage you. Apart from him, it, it doesn't exist. You'll never, you'll never be able to control enough. You'll never be able to exercise enough power. You'll never be able to do enough. If you want peace... You come to the Son. If you want peace, you turn and trust Jesus. Confess your sin.
Confess your need for him. Trust in him and him alone. His, his perfect, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and the promise of his return. These are the message he came preaching. And this is the message that we continue to believe that brings so much peace. Join us in it. Let's pray.